Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, everybody. It is that time of the week, that time of the day for Give Them the Sports Biz. Dan Devone coming to you from San Francisco. And on the other side of the coast, we are joined by Mr. Matt Marino, the sports agent from New York City. Matty, what do you say? What's up, Dan? We got some, uh, maybe some playoffs coming back and some, some baseball, you know, restarting a little bit, and counting down to football season. So we're, we're, we're working there. We're getting there, man. Good place to start. Basketball and, of course, everything that's going on in the world. We thought that we had, we had moved past sort of the social injustice after what we saw, of course, with George Floyd at the beginning of the summer. And as we end the summer, we're right back after it, after the, the heinous and disgusting act that took the, uh, not the life of Jeff Blake, but apparently has paralyzed him. And so the NBA has taken action. We saw that the players had a vote, a players-only vote, as to whether or not they wanted to continue with the playoffs in the bubble. That resolution was that they decided that they did indeed want to continue to play basketball. And apparently, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, and nobody's on the inside loop when it comes to NBA news, then Wojo, he has the NBA and the players resuming playoff basketball on Saturday. But we've talked about this, that when you, when you think about it from the economic sort of pressure, as, from the players as well as the NBA owners, and we'll start with the NBA owners, that – they need to see the bubble as well as the players playing in the bubble and the experiment go all the way to the end, meaning that they have to recognize an NBA champion because if they don't, then they're going to lose money, which means that they could tear up the CBA and that trickles down obviously to the players, which means that they could be at a loss for money, not only in the short term this year, but as far as the CBA and going forward, there could be a serious loss of money for the players as well as the owners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, the concerning part, at least, you know, players association and players is, is just what you hit on, you know, basketball, <clears throat> basketball revenue is, is a big indicator of the salary cap moving forward. And um, if you don't have that total basketball revenue, you know, at a high enough mark, it's, it's going to affect the salary cap, uh, whichever way you cut it. And, you know, you got uh, NBA players becoming free agents, you know, they want to get paid, obviously, um, you know, clearly, that, you know, that is a, a, a factor in it. I'm um, not saying it's, you know, it, it can be the only factor. Um, and if you look at, you know, the ownership, uh, the league standpoint, right, you know, they're making good, let's, you know, call it what it is. They're, they're trying to make good on some of these uh, partnerships, collaborations that they have uh, with their media partners, um, obviously their, their corporate partners. You know, when you see, um, you know, the, the logos and brandings around the, around the courts, uh, unfortunately, individual teams, you know, they, they obviously have, tried to figure out ways to do that virtually. Um, but, but really, you know, that's what the, the league and the ownership, uh, you know, individual franchises are trying to make good on. Um, they want to be able to take that money in, you know, whether it's from, you know, a, uh, you know, something as simple as, you know, Verizon, um, obviously, you know, any kind of apparel deal, fanatics, you know, anything of that nature uh, where there's licensing merchandise available. Um, but then also, you know, your media partners, um, you know, you, the NBA, obviously, everyone knows, uh, is a a playoff dominant uh, media uh, watch. You know, everyone's you know eyes are on it, and obviously this year even more so uh, with the unique schedule um, and unique format as well. So, yeah, um, that would you know not only inc- uh, not only decrease you know a, a, a quote unquote a, a suspension of play would not only decrease um, you know franchises uh, w- revenue what they're bringing in. 
um, you know, obviously lining the owner's pockets, but also then on the player side, it would seriously increase their uh, contracts moving forward because of the reduction of the salary cap and, and teams not being able to pay them. How much of that do you think was taken into consideration when the players met yesterday or last night to determine whether or not they wanted to continue to playing basketball this season in the bubble in Orlando? Now, not to diminish or certainly not to undervalue that they obviously have concerns as predominantly young African-American men playing in the NBA, whether they felt as though it was the proper thing to do to play basketball and not address as to what, what's going on socially in the world today or here in the United States, how much was it, was it that? And how much was it, do you think, and obviously none of us were there, and how much of it do you think was an economic decision that the players were deciding simply on what you just discussed as far as the bottom line affecting their salaries? You know, I think, um, look, you know, obviously the NBA is kind of at the forefront forefront of, uh, of some of these social issues, uh, societal issues. The NBA is, if you're comparing the big leagues and in, in the four big leagues in the United States, team sports, at least the NBA is, is the innovation league. Um, the NFL figures out ways to profit off of it. Um, that's, that's kind of how it looks at it. Um, you know, how people you know look at it, but I think in terms of this situation, you know, the players were obviously very outspoken, you know, even, you know, prior to the NBA season starting restarting, I guess the second time, what would be, um, about the social injustice issues. Um, you know, there was a lot of players that felt that it would be better off, you know, sitting out, you know, letting it, letting it sit and, and letting people think about, you know, how these actions have affected uh, NBA players and teams. Um, you know, this is, I guess, what we would call the, the second restart or the third part of the season, I guess, at this point. Um, you know, I got to imagine that, you know, there was some division when they held, held these meetings between, you know, themselves, the Players Association, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, team representatives of, of, of each team that were, you know, in, in part of that meeting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure economics come up. They always do. The Players Association is always going to make players aware that, hey, look, you know what, if, if this doesn't go forward and, you know, these are some rough figures of what we could be losing, um, this is a, how it will impact you going forward. That's what the Players Association, you know, is essentially there for. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, um, economics played a factor in it. Um, I think it's hard to, you know, obviously put a value on it, but certainly on the ownership side, the league side, you know, they want to see this thing, this thing through. Um, they want to be able to finish off the season, not just from the optics standpoint, but from, you know, they want to be able to make good on, on their partnerships and, and, you know, their media partnerships, especially the media deals that, um, you know, have been kind of up in the air for, for a period of time now. Uh, so yeah, I do think, you know, economics played a part in it, but, uh, I would imagine that the uh, the players themselves were, you know, the ones that really had to, you know, take some stock and, you know, think about it and if this is the, you know, the best way moving forward. Is it true in one of the reports that LeBron wanted to stop play and did not want to go back and resume the season and was pretty much outvoted? Did you hear that? I heard a little bit about that. Yep. Um, you know, that was something that, that I saw. Um, and I think, look, it's, it's certainly possible. You know, he's, he's in a different category, different stratosphere than a lot of these players. Um, you know, financially, um, certainly notoriety, right? You know, I think I saw one of the things that, you know, Jared Kushner said he was going to call LeBron James to discuss what's going on. And I kind of got a chuckle out of that. But, you know, it's <laughs> I like, see that discussion. yeah, it's like, you know, I, w- I, I wish LeBron recorded that thing, um, you know, and, um, you know, like on a Tuesday night, like, you know, Jared Christian is just going to, you know, give him a ring or something. But um, yeah, I think, you know, from, you know, 
and you've seen this in other in other situations with players associations you know you have you know different cliques of players not in a negative way not in a positive way but they're on different salaries you know you have guys that are you know in the league 12 15 you know 16 17 years have made massive amounts of money especially in the nba you have guys on 10-day contracts you have guys that are you know on the third year of their rookie deal, you know, making 900,000 a year. Um, and then you have guys making 14 million and they have been making 14 million for, for a number of years. So it, it's a completely different, you know, echelon that he's in compared to a lot of guys. Um, you know, so, you know, he's probably thinking one way and I'm sure he's thinking from a societal standpoint and he, and he has every right to do that. Um, you know, then you have to think about it, you know, that the, the guy that's in his second year though, that, you know, left his family for a period of time and says, look, I'm going to go down and put myself in the bubble. So, you know, my family can, you know, earn some money here that I can earn some money for my family. Um, and hopefully, you know, if he's in a situation to play for a competitive team, you know, compete for an NBA championship. So um, I don't doubt that, you know, there are those separations um, of ideas and it happens in all players associations. It happened earlier this year uh, in March with the NFL players association, when they were dealing with the, the new CBA um, it's happened. Obviously you saw it, uh, when Major League Baseball was trying to restart, that there was a lot of different voices in that room. So I, I don't doubt at all that, you know, there was a number of voices, um, you know, chiming in. And, you know, LeBron is obviously, um, you know, probably the best player in the league, you know, for argument's sake, but, but certainly um, one of the loudest voices in that, in that Players Association group as well. So as we've seen this pressure by that of the NBA owners that if, if the season does not continue, we may have to turn, tear up that CBA, yeah. start anew, which is going to mean a loss of money for NBA plays going forward. We also see that to a certain degree in Major League Baseball. Now, we had the flare-up as they started the season with Florida and then with the Philadelphia Phillies with the, the, the spike in a lot of players contracting COVID-19. And then – we, we've, well, it's been pretty good since then, but I think that the pressure by Major League Baseball, similar, similar to that of the NBA, that they have got to get to October. I wouldn't be surprised if that's like a banner hanging in every GM or owner's house or lounge or what have you, that we have got to get to October. Because if they don't, that's another huge hit financially. You're not going to be tearing up the CBA, but in terms of money lost to the owners, it's significant because of the television contracts. Can you expound on that a little bit, Matt? Yeah, it's, it's really significant. I mean, you're talking about this year, you're talking about a Major League Baseball season that has an extended playoff format. Um, you know, so 16-team playoff format. Um, you're talking about, um, you know, a potential broadcast revenue, you know, around $900 million, maybe $1 billion. Um, you know, and then you're talking about the playoffs bringing in close to $800 million. Um, annually, you know, before it's been in format. So you're talking about a massive increase in revenue and every, you know, every major league baseball executive um, owner, they know that, you know, that's where um, the season becomes valuable. Um, it's not, you know, I, I understand they're playing now, but you know, you're talking about, you know, games being missed. Um, you know, obviously there are some suspensions of series and they might re, you know, replay them later on in the season. Um, but really the value for major league baseball this year is the playoffs when they extend them. Um, obviously, um, you know, they want to have their big market teams, you know, the, the Yankees, the Dodgers um, involved in them. Um, so that's another, you know, tick up in terms of media, uh, you know, revenue. Um, but certainly um, every single, um, you know, major league baseball executive is, is keeping their eye on that this year, because really with only, you know, 
with a short and regular season, you know, normally with 162 games um, and playing, you know, less than, you know, you know, hundred less games this year, um, you know, you're talking about a really, really steep drop in revenue, both from, you know, media standpoint, merchandising, concessions, parking, tickets, you know, all the above. So Major League Baseball des- desperately needs the playoffs here. You mentioned a little nugget before we went on the air about Russell Wilson. I'll let you tell people at home what, uh, what it is that you, you dropped and we're discussing and also what that potentially might mean for NFL owners if that becomes a reality. Yeah, I mean, you know, just I thought it was interesting, you know, that Russell Wilson, you know, came out and said that, you know, if there was a, um, you know, if the Seahawks were scheduled to play again this weekend, um, you know, this is not verbatim, but, you know, if the Seahawks were scheduled to play again this, this Sunday, you know, they wouldn't be playing um, because of the social unrest that's currently going on in the U.S. And I thought that was very interesting. You know, he's, he's certainly, you know, a face of the NFL, the face of the Seattle Seahawks, um, you know, he's got a lot, you know, invested into that franchise, you know, he's, he's, you know, been there his entire career. Um, so for an NFL player to step up, you know, at this stage, 14 days away, 13 days away from the season starting, um, I think, you know, Saquon Barkley said, you know, there could be some talks among the giants in the locker room about, you know, possibly, um, you know, uh, sitting out a game, you know, protesting the game. So I thought that was very interesting that, you know, someone like Russell Wilson, um, you know, clearly who has a large voice uh, amongst the NFL players community uh, came out, said that, you know, really, um, you know, kind of from from his standpoint, especially two weeks, you know, before the season started. Um, I thought that was unique. And uh, I would like to see, you know, some some other NFL players, you know, get around that, talk with him. Um, I think it's, you know, like I said before, the, the NBA is, is the innovator, right? You know, not just the league, but the players and, and kind of how they are, uh, viewed, you know, uh, upon that. So I would like the NFL um, and certainly NFL Players Association and the players themselves uh, to really, you know, look at that and, and use um, certainly uh, their relationships within their community, uh, not only to better, you know, their each community, but, you know, better the league as a whole as well in that, in that regard. You know, when you think about the potential of things coming to an end and the season not being completed. The NBA, I mean, we were right, right on the precipice, on the verge, had the players decided that they were not going to continue, that would have been the end of it. Now, there could have been the owners tearing up the CBA. That could have been a reality. But I, I certainly can see that coming to fruition where the season would have been discontinued without the NBA playoffs recognizing a champion. Same with Major League Baseball. As much as the MLB wants to get to their money, wants to get to October, we saw it nearly shutting down with, again, the outbreak with the Florida Marlins and the Philadelphia Phillies and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, actually said, hey, listen, this isn't going to happen. In fact, I think that happened on a Friday. He said, we may have to shut this down on a Monday, even though I don't really believe Rob Manfred. But there is talk, and I could see Major League Baseball eating their hats and saying, oh, you know, this is, there's an outbreak. What are we going to do? We're going to have to shut down the season as much as they don't want to. You mentioned Russell Wilson and NFL players, and not that they would, not, not that they would do this for an entire season, maybe a game or two, but should the pandemic or should the social uprising where there's this conflict in terms of their conscience of these young African-American men playing football decide that they don't want to play the season and whether it's the virus or whether it's a social conscious going forward, as much as I can see the NBA and Major League Baseball not doing it, but being forced to not having to, to not recognize the season this year, I can't envision that when it comes to the NFL and the owners. That is going to be the proverbial rubber meets the road because I cannot see the NFL owners 
deciding that, okay, well, we just won't play football this year. I think come hell or high water, they're going to play football regardless of how bad this pandemic gets, even if there is more social uprisings. I do not think that NFL owners will give in that easily, and I think it could get really contentious and ugly going forward. Hopefully we won't get to that point. What do you think? I'm with you. I mean, look, that is the, you know, obviously the NFL um, is the league. The ownership has the most control over the players union, the players themselves. Um, and, and that was one of the reasons I just said, you know, I, I hope there's something in place there, um, you know, from the player's standpoint. And, and certainly, um, you know, I think one of the things that we, we've talked about is, look, you know, the players went, you know, really went back. Uh, to training camp without having all the correct information um, before going back to training camp, you know, uh, before giving the opportunity to opt out. Right. So that was because of the coronavirus, the pandemic, um, you know, players weren't given, you know, how does this, you know, the option of opting out during the season and, and seeing how this looks, you know, when games start, um, you know, when padded practices begin. So I think now is, is a little bit, you know, on their end, they're looking at it as, Oh, all right. You know what? We have another opportunity. another bite at the apple here, um, you know, for complete different reasons. And, Considering that, you know, the NFL or, or an NFL player is really, you know, what started this, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, I think that is the uniqueness of it. Um, it's, it's really kind of come full circle here. And, you know, I, look, the NFL owners, you know, we've talked about it, you know, they have this clause in the CBA and that's why they're going forward. And that's why they're trying to push through this season. They don't want players, you know, they don't want to pay players for no games. That's essentially what they're doing. And if you play one game, under this season, it's, it's like playing 16. So, you know, they're going to do everything they possibly can to play, you know, this season and play it out. And you've heard Goodell say a number of times we're going to, you know, finish the season. He doesn't ever say we're going to play a complete season, but he says we're going to finish it. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, ends up being 12 games in the playoffs and Super Bowl. Um, you know, so I think that's a unique little, you know, nugget there too. But certainly, um, you know, this is the, the most combative relationship of the players – players associations and ownerships, um, you know, leagues, I guess you would say, um, of the North American sports league. So to get some pushback from the NFL players is I think, you know, sometimes you root for chaos. Um, and in this sense, I'm rooting for a little chaos and I want to see, you know, what, you know, what the players can do if they take, you know, not advice, but if they, you know, take the opportunity from their counterparts in other leagues to really stand up and say, Hey, look, you know what, this is going to give us some leverage in the future. Um, you know, not only, you know, financially, contractually, um, but just in terms of working conditions, um, you know, workplace conditions, how we interact with coaching staffs, front office, things of that nature. Um, so I'm excited actually to see, you know, what some of these teams or what some of these players uh, have in mind uh, going forward in the NFL. Give me the name of that clause once again that the players have. That's a force, that's a force majeure clause. Um, so basically, you know, in, in the event of, you know, a pandemic or, you know, it's usually used for world wars, uh, you know, natural disasters, you know, acts of God, things of that nature. You know, the owners can, uh, you know, check that box and say, hey, look, you know what, we're going to implement the force majeure clause, which they've done in Major League Baseball and the NBA. And unfortunately, or fortunately in, in the NFL for the players, you know, they don't have that in the CBA. Uh, so the players can just keep, you know, keep running um, and, and keep going forward. So, um, it puts them in a good spot and, and a, a spot where they, you know, have a lot of leverage, which they're not accustomed to right now. Um, you know, financial leverage, certainly. I know you've given that exp explanation at least a million times in the podcast, but always worth reiterating, especially when you think about 
what we're on the verge of potentially happening. Buda Baker, safety for the Arizona Cardinals. He locks up a deal, a new deal, sort of out of nowhere. He had another year on his contract, and now he comes in at four years at $59 million. Let's, let's just talk about this deal. I'll have you break it down. And what sort of effects is this going to have on Jamal Adams and or the Arizona Cardinals who have to think about DeAndre Hopkins as well as their quarterback, Kyler Murray, at some point. Granted, it's, it's not uh, for another two years, but you've got to save up and at least start thinking about that right now. Let's discuss Buda Baker and the recent deal that he just inked. Yeah, so, yeah, he's getting paid, you know, $59 million, four years. Um, it's an extension of his rookie, de- rookie uh, deal. He was a second-round draft pick, um, you know, in 17. Uh, I think there's some uniqueness to this, you know, kind of what you were saying um, in terms of – uh, other players. Um, so a uh, guy like, you know, Jamal Adams, I actually talked about a guy, Justin Simmons, a safety for the uh, Denver Broncos, but back to Baker, you know, he's going to average, you know, 14.7 million a year. Um, you know, that's uh, a little bit, you know, misconstrued because obviously it's an extension of his, of his current deal. Um, so this current 2020, he's going to get paid, you know, right around, you know, $2.1 million. So a little bit different. Um, and then his, you know, his new money kind of, you know, kicks in after that. Um, but going back to the comparables and other players, you know, I think the, uh, you know, Denver Broncos were, you know, searching, looking for something to pay Simmons between like 11 and a half and 13 million. Um, you know, but with, with Baker's, with Baker's deal, he's the highest paid safety, you know, in the NFL. Um, certainly, um, you know, Simmons, you know, you probably should be, you know, number two on that list um, or try to top, you know, Baker's deal. But uh, but really what I think, you know, could be unique is, is certainly Jamal Adams, you know, going to Seattle where, you know, obviously like we talked about, you know, they didn't want to pay Earl Thomas, um, you know, at the end of his uh, initial deal. Um, you know, they wanted to part ways and, and go in a different direction. Now, obviously that's, you know, some years ago. But when you trade for a player, um, you know, certainly, you know, those discussions, those discussions happen, but certainly, um, you know, there's nothing that's, that's done in writing similar to DeAndre Hopkins. You know, we all knew the Houston Texans were not going to pay him. And, you know, he's trying to work through that, um, you know, on the, uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. But yeah, I mean, a guy like Jamal Adams, you know, at least if you talk to the people in the NFL, probably the one or two guy, you know, one or two safety in the league. So, um, Buda Baker, like most cases, you know, he could be beat out in a month um, or, you know, the Seattle Seahawks could be, you know, playing this a little bit slow and, and seeing, you know, what they have first, um, you know, which by all accounts is, you know, is obviously a very good player. But uh, I would think Jamal Adams is, is searching for that 15 million plus range. Um, you know, that's kind of what I've heard and what I've, you know, kind of seen in the marketplace. Um, so and that was the reason that the Jets said, look, you know what, uh, we got a great offer here we're not going to come close to this. We don't want to come close to this financially, you know, let's send them somewhere that, that actually can. So those negotiations, you know, with Seattle, I wouldn't call them negotiations. I would call them discussions, you know, obviously take place. Um, and it's, it's like I said before, it's very, you know, it, it, you can equate that to major league baseball, you know, uh, at the trade deadline, you know, a bunch of prospects go in one direction and, you know, a star player go in the other direction. You know, you want to be able to lock that star player up and not just be a three-month rental. Um, and, and the Seattle Seahawks don't want Jamal Adams to be a rental and then see him end up somewhere else. Especially when you've given up two first-round draft picks and a starting safety over to the New York Jets. You've got to keep him long-term and lock him up. Otherwise, that trade makes no sense, and the New York Jets simply got over on you. Yep. And, you know, what's interesting is that when you see something like Buda Baker, and rest assured there'll be somebody else that will sign a contract. I mean, how many times have we done a podcast 
over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, we talked about first starting with Patrick Mahomes becomes the highest paid NFL quarterback in the history of the league. And then we started with Miles Garrett becomes the highest paid NFL defensive player in the history of the league, soon to be outdone by that of Joey Bosa. And then now we're talking about the highest paid safety ever in the history of the game. It doesn't mean that necessarily Joey Bosa is the best defensive player ever or currently in the game and or Buda Baker. I mean, I can think of a handful of safeties that are better than him right now, starting with Derwin James out there in Los Angeles. But it's really all about timing, isn't it, Matt? And a guy that's young enough, that's ascending up the mountain. And just the, the timing in all of this, has to go into play. And of course, if you're the latest to sign a contract and you're in that conversation of being the best at your position, well, then you're going to set the bar in terms of being the highest paid at that spot. But when you talk about the contract itself, and you obviously have been through this and you have been in the inner circle, these contracts, and we can use Buda Baker as an example, four years at 59 million, the 33 million guarantee. Now that sounds great. And it's something that certainly the NFL owners will put out there and saying, hey, look, we take care of our own. We're making this guy the highest paid player. And it's something that you, the agents, I think, enjoy because (laughs) this is assigned to other clients, right? Look, at we locked this dude up for the highest paid contract and look how much money he's getting and it's all guaranteed. But when you really strip it away and pull back some of the layers, it's not necessarily what it what it appears. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it's not. And, you know, like we talked about before, there's always going to be outs, right? You know, and, you know, with 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 Buda Baker, with, you know, like we talked about Mahomes, I think there's an out in, you know, 2027, you know, Joey Bosa had an out like in 2025, you know, so what that means essentially is it, it gives the team some flexibility um, to get out of the contract, um, you know, for whatever reason. And, and Buda Baker for a four-year contract, you know, that's essentially going to take him to 2025 and 2020 and 29 years old. So if we just think about that, you know, a safety 29, you know, still in, you know, obviously in his 20s, late 20s at that, but, you know, clearly a guy that hasn't had injury concerns. Um, but what it does is it gives the, the Cardinals kind of, you know, a chance to look at it probably when he's 27, 28, um, you know, years old and saying, all right, look, you know what? Um, you know what? Has this guy slowed down? Uh, do we do we overpay him? You know, who do we else? Who do else do we have to pay on the roster at this point? Do we have to pay Kyler Murray? Do we have to pay, you know, a young wide receiver or an offensive lineman to keep Kyler Murray upright? Um, and I think that's when you see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of contracts pop up in the media. In the media, oh, you know, uh, so and so, you know, renegotiated their deal, um, extended two more years onto it, and you know, put some more money into it, you know, upfront. But it's really just, you know, backing out that contract so there's some more, some more flexibility for the organization. Um, the other option, you know, for them, for the player, is to get cut. And teams will let you know that. Teams will say, look, you know what, we can extend this deal or we can, you know, redo this deal. The other option we have is cutting you. Um, so, you know, in some cases, yeah, the player will say, all right, look, you know, I want to be released. I want to be out. I want to have a, a fair shot somewhere else. Um, but in, in, in a lot of cases with the NFL, you know, players want stability. Um, they'll work with the team. Their agent will work the team to try to figure out, you know, what the best scenario is going forward for that player to redo that deal. Um, so for, you know, I think one of the more famous ones was Don McNabb. Um, certainly remember that one, you know, with the Philadelphia Eagles, he never really finished pl- playing out that deal. Um, you know, especially when they had Mike Vick there for cheaper. And then the Eagles went over top of that and then, you know, put Mike Vick on a $100 million contract. Um, so, you know, that's really what it is. Um, so a guy like Buda Baker, you know, he can get to 2023, um, you know, earn half of this contract, um, you know, the $33 million that is totally guaranteed. And the Cardinals might, let, might look to move on at that point, um, you know, instead of going forward with him. 
You know, we've talked about how the structure in terms of players getting paid in the NFL and it being a, and sort of what's trending in the NFL right now. And what I mean by that, it's a, it's a quarterback centric league. You're going to pay Patrick Mahomes. You're going to pay the quarterbacks. You're going to be the highest paid players on the team. Then we always talk about the guys that are going to protect the quarterback, the second highest paid. And then of course, logistically the guys that can put pressure and or sack the quarterback. But, and, and we've seen the NFL running back being devalued. I'm wondering because of the way the game's being played right now with the RPO run pass option and these quarterbacks who are so mobile and seeing guys like Jamal Adams, who's asking for, I've heard reports where he wants nearly $20 million. Yeah, Good luck getting 20. that at the safety yeah. position. And now we see Buda Baker getting locked up to a big deal. Are we seeing that potentially that safety position that, you know, for the last couple of years and traditionally is not something that you earmark as being one of the highest paid players on the team, but maybe to combat the way offenses are playing these days. And you see these guys like Buda Baker, like Derwin James, even like that of Jamal Adams. These guys are hybrids, right? They're not just, they're not just staying back there in the two deep. These guys will come up to the line of scrimmage. They can make tackles in the open field. They can, you can move them around and have them play different positions. Do you think that maybe because of the way this, the game is trending offensively that there's now more – suddenly there's a more value on the safety simply because they can do more, more different things? Yeah, certainly. And, and I think these guys are chess pieces, right? You, know, you can create a matchup with them. And all the time you know, you're talking about offenses – trying to create a, a mismatch, you know, for the defense, uh, whether that's with, you know, a running back, a wide receiver. A lot of the times now you saw the trend and still see the trend with tight ends. Um, and I think, you know, what defenses are trying to find is a little bit of a white whale. Um, they're trying to find that guy that can be, you know, that can certainly play at the back ends, you know, of a secondary that can, you know, roam up in the box and, and play, you know, almost as a, as a linebacker, um, you know, you obviously probably know the most famous one, Troy Palomalu, who, you know, basically played everywhere in the field behind the line of scrimmage, you know, end of the secondary, you know, as a single high safety. I mean, the guy played absolutely everywhere in the field. Um, and so I think, look, he's obviously an anomaly or an exception, I guess you would say. Um, but certainly um, some of these, you know, I think the safety, you know, the average safety is around, uh, you know, $3 million in, in, in salary per year, um, just under it actually, uh, around two point. Sorry, sorry, a little bit under it, around 2.2. Um, so I think, you know, some of these, what some of these teams are doing is they're trying to lock down the safety at a younger age, which is it's certainly beneficial to, I guess, both parties, really, when you think about it. It's beneficial to the, to the club, to the franchise, because you're getting a player that hopefully you drafted. Jamal Adams is a little bit different. Um, but certainly, you know, if you're getting a guy there and extending his contract, like the Buda Baker route, Justin Simmons, um, you know, certainly some other guys like a Derwin James, possibly um, you're getting someone that you drafted that, you know, that has been in your building and you feel comfortable giving them, a, you know, a big raise at a younger age at 24, sometimes 23 years old, um, rather than getting that guy as a free agent who was drafted by someone else, maybe two years later at 25 or 26, um, you know, after they've been franchised for a year, um, you know, and, and probably for some more money. So I think there's, there's a give and take there. And I think what teams have realized is, yeah, let's, let's lock this guy down at a younger age, you know, when we can provide some stability for him, financial stability. And it works out well for the player then because, you know, he might get the free agency again, you know, at, you know, 28 or 29 years old as opposed to 32 years old. I like it. Everyone's looking for the white whale. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs>
Because I'm so tired of everybody using unicorn. He ain't a unicorn. He's a unicorn now. Nah, white whale, man. Yeah, he's start yeah. using it right now. All right, Maddie, let's leave it there. We'll, uh, we'll resume next week and find out what's happening in the world of sports economically. As, of course, you keep it right here to find out who's giving you the sports biz. It's us. For Matt Marino out in Manhattan, this is Dan Avone in San Francisco. Until next time, so long, everybody. So long, Dan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.